0: If you missed it, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're gonna be working through a really big portion of Scripture this morning. And it's really an exciting portion of Scripture, the gifts of the Spirit, and what does that mean for us? We have been looking the past few weeks to help us understand the gifts of the Spirit by looking at the role of the Spirit in our salvation and the work of the Spirit in continuing to grow the life of the believer. And the idea was, if we could understand these two roles of the Spirit and how that is active among us today, that we could then hopefully approach the gifts of the Spirit and then see it clearly. Now, much has been made about the gifts of the Spirit with people trying to understand what it looks like within the life of the believer, And you have two primary positions where people tend to land on their thoughts or feelings of the gifts of the Spirit and what that means for the life of the believer. First, you have cessationists that believe that the miraculous gifts have ceased, that the gifts were only for an appointed time and purpose and are no longer among us today. They believe that they stopped with the apostles and that that was just a sign of their authority uh, that God had placed on them and they are no more. But you have another group of people who are continuationists that believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still for the church today. Now, I know that my own confusion about the gifts of the Spirit have come from poor expectations, misguided understanding about how these gifts do or do not manifest in the life of believers. I've shared with you stories of awkward encounters with people who have claimed to be prophesying over me or or speaking tongues over me and how that just weirded me out and I didn't know what to do with it. But I also believe that a lot of the debate about these gifts have come from a response to also charlatans or televangelists that we see on TV trying to manipulate or persuade people. Think of someone like Kenneth Copeland. When COVID came out, he said he was going to blow the wind of God on it to get rid of COVID. It's ridiculous. This is a ridiculous man clowning around as a minister saying that he has the gifts of the Spirit in this way. You might see someone like Benny Hinn who claims to slay people in the spirit or you see these guys that come up and promise to work really great miracles uh, for people that come and pay them money. So our goal today is to not bring all of that baggage into trying to understand what Paul is saying here. Our goal today is to simply look at the text and the context of the text and see if we can make sense of what Paul is saying and how that should apply to our lives. So the task we have in front of us today is not only understand these in light of our own experiences or the abuses that we've seen through some, but primarily from the inspired words of Paul. And I've got four ways for us to do that this morning. The first way that we're going to see this working out in the text from Paul is that we see the gifts are bestowed on the body, the church. The gifts are given to the body. And the gifts are for the edification of the whole body, not just the enjoyment or enrichment of the individual members possessing them. So in other words, the gifts of the Spirit are not given to one person so he can claim power and authority over everyone. There's one head that Paul makes very clear, and that's Christ. The gifts, however, are given so that the body might be edified and brought together. Second, the gifts of the Spirit are to highlight the beauty, diversity, and need for individual believers to make up the body of Christ. We'll see in this text that no one person has all the gifts, nor is any one of the gifts bestowed to all people, So if we went to Guy, he's not going to have the gifts of healing, prophecy, tongues, uh, teaching. You just name the list. He's not going to have all the gifts. Nor is every one of us in the body, say, going to all have the gift of tongues. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that each individual member has different gifts for the unity, diversity, and beauty of the body. Third, and this is probably one of the most important ones, the Holy Spirit... Apportions the various gifts to whom and as he wills. The Holy Spirit, we will see, is the author and authority of these gifts. When you become a Christian, it's not like you become Spider Man and you can start flinging your web of healing around. That's not how it works. Christ is the authority, and Christ gives how he wills and to whom he wills. And then lastly, we will see that all gifts are important. Let's start uh, running through the first one. We're going to start in verse 4 of chapter 12. I'm going to read that again for us to see uh, what Paul says here. He says this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, uh, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, the gifts of the Spirit has always kind of, how does that work? What does it mean, the gifts of the Spirit? But if we look at the Greek word behind gifts of the Spirit, what we get translated as gifts of the Spirit, we'll get a little bit deeper understanding. The word there is charismata, and that's where you get things like the charismatic church who associate themselves with... um, the outpouring of the Spirit or the display of spiritual gifts. Charismatic movement comes from this word, charismata. But it doesn't mean spiritual gifts. The very literal translation of it would mean grace gifts. So the Lord, Jesus, in his sovereignty, he gives us gifts of his grace for the body. And Paul says at times that will be healing, at times that will be prophecy, at times that will be encouragement, in other places, he'll say in Romans that this will be acts of mercy, exhortation. These are grace gifts. The gifts of grace are a work of grace for the body. And we'll see this in 1 Corinthians 14. I'll read it for us. It should be on the screen. Paul says this, Thou brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge, or prophecy, or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue. How will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying. I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. I don't have this on the screen, but just down there in verse 18 of chapter 14, Paul's going to say, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So the first few things that we see from reading this passage is, first, they are for the building up of the church. They are not just for an individual person. So if someone comes into our body today, and they are speaking in tongues, but we have no one to interpret, it's unintelligible for us. There is no building up. It does no good. Paul would say, sit down and be quiet. You're exercising a gift, but it does no good. It is for the body of Christ. Second, we see that there is order in the gifts, that it's not a random, chaotic meshing of people running around or acting crazy, but there is order in what's happening in the service. Paul will say later in 1 Corinthians 14 that at most two or three of you should prophesy. At most two or three of you should have a testimony or a word. Paul is putting a limit to these things. When we think of the gifts of the Spirit, we automatically think of the supernatural and getting in touch with the divine. And if everyone has a word, then we want to hear that word, but Paul doesn't treat it like that. Paul pumps the brakes to say, hey, look, we still have to have order among what we are doing. And the third thing that we see, back in verses four through seven, is that they all come from one Spirit. So if someone comes in claiming to have a a word from God or a prophecy or something like that, and they contradict Scripture. It goes above the authority that they have been given. It is not from the Spirit of God. So this doesn't mean just because someone is on TBN or CBN or whatever the channel is, and they carry the name of Christian, like Kenneth Copeland or Benny Hinn or Creflo Dollar, they claim the name Christian, we can test and see that their words are not in bounds. That, in fact, they're out of bounds. And these are people that we should label as charlatan and move on. The gifts of the Spirit are for the body. The grace gifts, these gifts of grace, are to be exercised within the body and for the body. And this might help us if we kind of remember what's been going on in First Corinthians. Throughout this entire letter, Paul has been addressing divisions in the church. So you have people that are dividing over different teachers. Then you have people that are dividing over different practices of eating meat in the temple. You have people that are dividing over their sexual preferences and practices. They have people dividing because they're blurring the roles of men and women. You have people dividing in the way that they're treating the Lord's Supper. And here, you have division among the meaning and the importance of the gift between believers. So what's happening in this very real context is people are coming and saying, because I speak in tongues of angels, I am more spiritual than you, and therefore I should be elevated above you. Or because I have this veriest gift within the body, you should regard me as higher and holier. But Paul has none of it. He has none of it. The gifts are the, the spirit are for the church not to raise up an individual believer. The gifts of the Spirit are to unite the church. Second, we see the gifts of the Spirit are to highlight the beauty, diversity, and need for individual believers to make up the body of Christ. This is what it means. If you you believe that you have been given a grace gift or a spiritual gift... And you are not involved in a local body or local church, it's doing nothing. If you believe that the Lord has given you the gift of encouragement or the gift of showing, you know, just very powerful acts of mercy, but you're you're pulled away from the church. You're nothing. And this is what Paul is going to say: just as one body has many parts. All of its parts form one body. And whose body is that? It's Jesus. No one can say that if I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Or if I'm not a foot, I don't belong to the body. Can you smell with your eye? Can you see with your ear? And this is such a great illustration by Paul and one that we can easily understand. My father-in-law recently had knee surgery, and he had to have it replaced. One part of his body was very bad. And so what does he normally, what does he have to do? He starts favoring that knee, starts walking with a limp. What do you think starts to hurt next as you favor that knee? It's the hip. And if you do not get one problem fixed, the other is going to have a problem. And so Paul is saying with the body of Christ that you, we all need each other. We all need each other. And we are under the body of Christ. And there's two things that we should see in this passage that mark us and set us apart as a people. First is that Christ is the head and we are in him. And think about this. Think about how awesome this is. Who is Christ Jesus? Jesus is Savior, Redeemer, Bread of Life, Lord, Creator, Son of the Living God, Only Begotten Son, Beloved Son, Holy One of Israel, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, the Almighty, I Am, Master, Alpha, Omega, Teacher, Prophet, Advocate, Mediator, Judge, Chief Cornerstone, Lamb of God, author and finisher of our faith, the word, the good shepherd, the true vine, the image of the invisible God, the son of man, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, and this is who we're in. This is the body that we make up. We are in Christ Jesus, which means we have been set apart in him. Christ is the head of the church, and he has not called you to go out and be a superhero. He's called you to come into himself for the benefit of the church. It's for his glory and our good and to make his name known throughout all nations. Not only is Christ the head, we are his body. And what images do we see about Christ? That he, has, that he is the one that has overcome. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn from the grave and we are secure in Christ Jesus. And the gift of grace we receive by his spirit is not for my name, but to make his name known. So the gifts of grace, then, if we are in the body of Christ, then should model the way of Christ. Where there is, the, where there is maybe the gift of tongues or the gift of, name it, you know what should also be present there? The gift of his peace. It should not be chaotic or, Crazy, there should be repentance and confession and contrition over sin. There should be joy and mercy and love in the Father. Which means, because we are Christ's body, you are valuable members. You can say, who can say to the lungs, I don't need you, or the feet, you are superfluous, or to the hands, your job's not that important. The church of Christ and the image of Paul uses here is that everyone has a part to play. This church is not built up on the work of John. It's not continued on the work of Eric in Sunday School, or the work of Hilton, or Jared, or Kevin. It's, it's in no one's work alone. It is everyone's collective work coming together to build the body of Christ. Now we've seen in the past two weeks that the work of the Spirit is active in the role of our salvation and conversion, and it's active as we walk by the Spirit Now we read these gifts listed here in Corinthians, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, working of miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish spirits, various tongues, interpretation of tongues, but this does not mean it's conclusive or exhaustive. Paul in other portions of scripture is going to mention various other gifts, service, exhortation, generosity, leading, acts of mercy, and these all play out in different ways. So consider this, do you consider that the service that you do within the church is potentially supernaturally powerful, powered by the work of his spirit? The other day, it was a few weeks ago, I think it was, um, I think it was at Miss Jenny's funeral, um, Brother Charles, you know that as you pastor a church, you go through ups and downs and seasons of like, you know, we're on the right track or, you know, what am I even doing up here? Like, am I saying anything that makes sense? And I was walking out of this building and, you know, I was in one of just those seasons of prayer, like, all right, Lord, what do you have for me in my life? What am I, what should we be doing? Are we doing anything well? You just, you can go down these lanes. And I'm walking over there and you know who walks out this way is Miss Hazel. She says, oh, I'm so glad I ran into you. And she just spent the next two minutes out of the blue for no other reason, just to encourage me. And in that moment, that was a gift of grace from the Holy Spirit, from Miss Hazel to me. It's a gift of grace. We all have a part to play. Now, I don't know where everybody lines out in the room, cessationist, continuationist, and honestly, it's... You know, we can have a cup of coffee over that and talk about it, but that's nowhere near should we divide the church over that. Uh, but I would say that if, if we're going to stand to say that all the gifts had ceased, then we would also have to say that acts of mercy have ceased, or that various strong seasons of faith have ceased, that joy in the midst of suffering have ceased. You know, when we think about the gifts uh, and the way that I've thought about it, you know, in the, in, in the past, or when I've heard people talk like, well, if you have the gift of healing, great, show it, prove it, prove that you have the gift of healing, and then we'll know that the gifts of the Spirit are real and among us. But that's not how we see it play out in Scripture. This is our third point the Holy Spirit apportions the various gifts to whom. And as he wills. Let me read verses 7 through 11 for us again. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Our first point. The manifestation of the Spirit, when the Spirit reveals himself through the gifts, it's for the common good of the church. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another, a message of knowledge. By means of the same Spirit, to another, faith, by the same spirit, to another, gifts of healing. By one spirit, to another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11. And all of these are a work of one, spirit, one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So the question, like, If you have the ability to heal, great, prove it. This is a completely appropriate question, especially for someone who is claiming that they have, like, the power to zap and heal someone at their own command. That's a completely appropriate question because it helps us identify false teachers who tout their ability to heal. And if it doesn't work out for them, what do they say? Well, you just didn't have enough faith. It's not on me. I can heal. But as good of a question as this is, it also assumes an understanding of the gifts. It's not necessarily indicated in Scripture. When asking someone to prove that they have the gift of healing, it is assuming that the power comes from within themselves and is available for that person at their spoken word. But this is not the indication that we get from the text. Who's at work? Verse 6, God is at work, not the individual. The Spirit is at work. The individual is the extension of God's work through the Spirit in the individual, not that the individual has received power and is able to wield it as they want. Like I said earlier, when you become a Christian, you don't become Spider-Man, and you have this power to use and fly around and shoot bad guys as you want. That's not how it works. Christ has the power. It is through Christ's authority alone, never my own. Consider it this way. If I did have the gift of healing, do you know what would happen among our body? No one would ever get sick again. I just tell you, right? If I I did have the gift of healing in that way, no one among our body would ever die. But you see, this is not what we see in Scripture. The apostles had these gifts, but those who got healed were sick again. Those who died, died again. Paul raises Eutychus from the dead, but he doesn't heal Epaphroditus, who is ill. Paul doesn't heal Trophimus, Timothy, or even himself, yet he had the gift of healing. So then it comes to this verse 11. There are times where God, in his divine wisdom, chooses to heal, and there are other times in God's divine wisdom where he chooses not to heal. All of it, whether he heals or does not, is for his glory. And it is working all things out for the good of those who love him. I've shared this story before. You may recognize it. Some of you may be new here with us at this time. But it seems appropriate to tell again. So if it's an old, new story, just, you know, smile and not along. There was a a pastor um, who was pastor of a small town. In uh, southwest Louisiana. And he was really loved by his community. His community loved him well. He served the church well. But as happens in some churches. There is a group of deacons that rose up among. And they did not like this pastor. And they wanted to vote him out. And you, the person that's telling the story is the son. And he says through the whole you know, next few weeks. You just feel the tension in the home. You know, is dad going to have a job? Are we moving? Are we leaving all our friends, moving school? What's going to happen? Well, there came the day uh, where the deacons called the meeting at 5 o'clock Friday evening, show up and be there. We want you at the church. And so this was, say, like a Monday or a Tuesday. So the father, the pastor, approaches his then like, 10-year-old, 12-year-old son and says, Friday at 4.45, you're going to get in truck with me and we're going to ride over to the church. So Friday comes, 445 comes, they get in the truck, and you could just cut the tension with a knife. The son says he does not say anything because he's sick to his stomach, he's worried, and his dad is just straightforward, driving, and when he gets to the church, he puts the truck in park, and he looks at his son and he says, Now I want you to know, no matter what happens in there, no matter what's said about me, what's said about our family, what's said about our church, I want you to sit there and be Quiet and I'll show you how a godly man responds. You know, throughout that entire meeting, through accusation or anger, his father never responded with a terse word. What is that? That's an act of mercy. What is that? That is the outflowing of the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, love, peace, patience, forbearance. Now this son who's telling the story, is telling it to his congregation that he's now pastoring a church in Texas and he tells his church, now listen, I want you to hear me. I've gone to the doctor recently and I've gotten some incredibly bad news. I do not have a lot of time left to live. But I want you to do something. I want you to watch me. Watch me and I'll show you how a godly man dies. How is one able to do that? It's because in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, that the Spirit is among you in your suffering, and there's joy. Friends, we, what we don't need to do is because we don't understand maybe how the gifts of the Spirit work or how it might be a part of our body or how we might see it play out, and we don't understand it, what we don't need to do is just, just avoid it and push it away. Paul commands us in Galatians to walk by the Spirit, Paul tells this church in Corinth to seek the gifts, to seek the greater gifts. There's no indication here from Paul that this church, that the gifts are about to cease because this church is not apostles, but he tells them to go and seek the gifts for the benefit of the body. Our third point was that the Holy Spirit apportions the various gifts to whom and as he wills in his sovereignty for God's glory and our good, whether that be in our healing or whether that in our, be in our dying. The God who works all things together can even work that together. Lastly, we see this, that all gifts are important. He says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, Then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you yet even a greater way. Now, there's a lot in this passage. Okay, there's a lot that we could untie here, but we're not going to this morning. We will later, when we get to 1 Corinthians 14, we'll talk about what these gifts might mean. Uh, but there's one thing that I want us to see very clearly here. That as we see the Spirit working among us in our church, how will, how will we know? How can, how can we be competent in that? And for us to be able to do that, I believe we have to go back to Jesus' words in John 14, where he tells us what the Advocate or what the Spirit is going to do for us. John 14, 25 through 27 says this, "'All this I have spoken while with you, "'but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, "'whom the Father will send in my name, "'will teach you all things "'and will remind you of everything I have said to you. "'Peace I leave with you. "'My peace I give to you. "'I do not give to you as the world gives.'" Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. So what do we see? What does the Spirit do? First, the Spirit teaches. But the Spirit doesn't teach anything new. There's not some new revelation like the Mormons will claim, or uh, other denominations that claim that Christ's deity is not quite all the way up there. The Spirit doesn't teach new things. No, the Spirit affirms what Christ has taught that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus is the life. The Spirit teaches these things. The Spirit also reminds us of the way of Christ over and over and over again. In Paul's letters, he's going to tell us to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, imitate Christ, be like Christ. Husbands, lay down your life as Christ has laid down his life for the church. The Spirit reminds us to do these things. And then the spirit brings peace. And if we look at just a few of the gifts listed in 1 Corinthians, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, various tongues, interpretation of tongues, or in Romans, service, exhortation, generosity, leading, acts of mercy, each gift of grace can be used to teach, to remind, and to bring peace. they are all important so where should that leave us today as we think about the gifts of the spirit i'm not trying to convince you to be a continuationist or a cessationist what i'm trying to do is to get us to deal uh, with the text and see how that should shape and move our lives so the first thing we should see is that the gifts are given to us as a means of grace by the holy spirit for the glory of god we should recognize they are not for our own accomplishments. They are intended to be used in the fulfillment of his plan. If you look at our back wall, to know him and to make him known, what is the role? That's the role of the Spirit. How do we do this? By the fruit of the Spirit and by the gift of the Spirit. Second, we see that the Holy Spirit dispenses his gifts as he determines wisely and sovereignly. Possession of or the lack of a gift should not cause pride or regret. Just because you feel like you have some certain special gift, but you would rather another gift, it should not cause pride or regret. Now, I will tell you this. um, There is, I understand, I follow the line of cessationists and the argument that they make, and they do have valid points. Uh, but for me today, personally, I believe that the gifts continue today. Uh, this may or may not have been clear through the sermon, and there may be some nuances and questions that like, we need to sit down and have a cup of coffee over and talk about. Uh, but although I, I do believe that the gifts continue today, I also believe that there are severe abuses of people who claim to have this supernatural spirit of God power on them. And so it might make you wonder, man, if there was only a way, if there was only a way that we could guard the door and we could know uh, if, you know, somebody came and spoke in a prophecy or came and did this, if there was only a way that we could understand if this is true or not. Well, there is. The Lord has appointed in his divine wisdom elders, overseers, pastors, shepherds, deacons to guard the door. So if someone comes in and says, Uh, X, Y, and Z, we seek to discern the spirit, test the fruit of what is being said, and either deny or accept what's being said. We test it through the scriptures and move on. A few years ago, um, there was a a man who came to our church, you may remember it, uh, and he met me after the service, and the reason that he came is because he wanted us to start using some curriculum that he wrote. like He said that he had uh, the gift of teaching and that this was the best material out there and we should use it. And I said, let me stop you right there. He said, we're not going to do that. And he said, well, why not? He said, it's good stuff. I've written it down. You can read it and check it for yourself. I said, let me, let me stop you there. I said, I appreciate it, but we're not going to use this curriculum and he said, well, I, I, I still, I don't understand. You're not even going to give it a chance. You're not going to read it? I said, sir, we at our church, we have elders and deacons. We have pastors, shepherds, overseers, and you're not one of them. So said, the second reason I'm not going to use it is I don't know you. I have no idea who you are. And for you to come into our body and try to, to push on us teaching that you've written is out of bounds for me. So we're not going to do that. Now, was that anything? Was he really trying to do something that was persuading us in a bad way? I don't know. But that's why we have members of this body for that reason. We don't need to turn on TBN or CBN or seek out these other faith healers or preachers or whatever. That is not what we're called to do. We are called to come into the body we are called to, if someone is sick among us, that we lay hands over them and pray for their healing. And if the Lord heals them, we celebrate that the Lord the Lord has done it. But if the Lord chooses in his divine sovereignty to not, we walk through them. If one of us suffers, we all suffer. And this is all done by the fruit and the work of the Spirit. Fourth, uh, with the Spirit and with the gifts of the Spirit, I just want to make this caveat. Not everything is a sign. Not everything is a sign. You might be praying about one thing, like uh, a few years ago, like, man, I wanted a gray four-door Toyota Tundra. And so you know what I saw all over the road every time I went out to drive? A gray four-door Toyota Tundra. Now, that was not a sign for me to go buy this truck. Not everything is a sign in our life. In a season of needing to know or understand and wanting the Lord to speak with us, there is a natural temptation that occurs to see everything as a sign from the Lord. You may feel as if you've gotten a word from the Lord. But this is where the Lord has also given us people with wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. And those are also gifts of the Spirit. We should come into the body. I've already spoken some on this, uh, so I won't belabor the point again, but I believe that we have to keep a watchful eye out for the abuses of others. There are people that will want to abuse the name of the Lord, to carry it in vain, um, and we do not need to get caught up in that. What do we need to get caught up in? Do we need to get caught up in seeking the healing, the miraculous signs? No, what Paul says, and what we'll get to next week, is that the greater gift is love and that this is what should be among us in our body. Why is love so important? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved Through him. Here is the good news of the gospel. We proclaim the God of the universe, everything seen and unseen, the author and creator of it all, and he sees you. He sees you in your need, he sees you in your suffering, he sees you in your wanting, he sees you in your questioning, your doubts, your aging, he sees you. But not only does he see you, he knows you. In fact, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the number of hairs that are on our head. He knows the anxious worries in our hearts, the doubts, the fears that we have. He knows you, which can be terrifying because I also know me. I know how my mind thinks. Just think, if everything that you thought were put up on the screen, how terrifying that would be. And the Lord knows that. But not only does the Lord see you and know you, the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. He loves you despite of your sin, despite of your wickedness. How do we know this? Because he's given us his son, Jesus, that while we were still dead in our sins and transgressions, Christ died for the ungodly. And the promise of the gospel of this is this, is that he sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and if you come to Christ Jesus in faith, he stands for you for all time because you are in him you are his. Let's pray together. Jesus, there is a lot for us to um, try and work through in your word, and sometimes it causes really great confusion and frustration, and we just want to know. We just want to understand. And so I pray that you give us wisdom and discernment and knowledge and understanding. Father, the the men um, that you have brought to lead this church and the people that you've brought to teach Sunday school, God, I pray that you continue to work in them, continue to give them this gift of grace in teaching. Father, that we would delight in your word, that we would love you and hold fast to you. Father, I pray that your spirit, the presence of your spirit, be active among us so that we can learn to walk by your spirit. Father, if there are various gifts that you have given our church, Father, as you determine and as you will, I pray uh, that you unite our body in those things. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.